Hey everybody, thank you for joining us tonight here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. <coughs> Excuse me, this is my wife Sherry. We're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight on Everless Change by Andrew Womack. We'll be in Chapter 7 again tonight, uh, which entitled Our Crisis Situation. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be out in the section heading out of earshot on page 65 in case you have a book. That's what will be. Uh, anyway, just so you know, all of our Bible studies are archived on our website. <coughs> Excuse me, at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we are, as always, we to say thank you to all of our financial partners who have partnered with us in this ministry with their tithes and their offerings at lighthousediscipleship.org. Anyway, so like I said, we're going to be. Uh, back in chapter 7 tonight on effortless change and uh, we're talking about you know effortless change what is that in case you haven't joined us so far um, we're talking about being in the word of God and having a relationship with the word I had a conversation with somebody uh, this week I think it's from Africa but you know uh, it was a little bit of a debate uh, I forget exactly what his point was trying to make but I was like you know the word of God is not an it <laughs> Uh, it's a uh, it's a person. His name is Jesus, and we have a relationship with him. And, there, and uh, he was trying to say, well, when the when the, the when the when the word became came into existence, I'm like, uh, buddy, uh, the word didn't come to existence. It always was. Uh, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. There was no beginning to Scripture. There was no beginning to the Word of God. Uh, you know, the Word of God is a person. And you can have a relationship with a person. Now, I understand we didn't have a canonized scripture uh, at that point, you know. But I'm not going to reduce it down to that. Uh, it's uh, the Word of God is a person, and uh, you know we can debate all all along, but the Word of God is a person. But when you have a relationship with God, the seed of God's Word will begin to change you from the inside out, versus you changing from the outside in. Uh, there, what, there is no beginning to the Word of God. The Word of God always and has always existed. Now, I know that's a hard for our natural minds to comprehend and, and process. But you know what? That's why this Word is it's a eternal Word. It's not a natural Word. Uh, it was the Word of God that created you and I into <coughs> and everything we know into existence. The Word of God is the Creator. Uh, it wasn't created. It was the. It is the creator. Uh, you know, you'll see it uh, several times in, the, in Genesis chapter one. And God said, and God said, and God said, and it was. However, that God said happened. And so, uh, I, I love those scriptures. And actually, that kind of uh, sets a platform for this coming message this Sunday morning. We'll be talking, starting a new teaching series on experiencing the spirit of faith. And we'll find out when this in this teaching series on the spirit of faith that faith speaks. Faith has something to say. And when you believe God, you can't help but say something. You know, fear also says something. You, most of us speak our fears. Most of us speak our, our doubts and the concerns and our fears. But faith speaks too. And when you have faith like David, you can't help when you get on the scene of Goliath, you say something. Who is this uncircumcised still seeing that he should defy God's and God? David was just bringing crackers and cheese to his, <coughs> his, his brothers and his commanders uh, from his father Jesse. He was just obeying Papa. But when he got on the scene, he saw this uncircumcised still seeing defy God's and God. There was something in his, his spirit that rose up and said something. Eliab, his brother, didn't receive it. Uh, uh, King Saul didn't understand it. But David knew who his God was. And he had faith in his God. And he just had said something to the point that he, he was down on, on that battlefield with Goliath, taken down. And so, anyway, I'm not going to spoil Sunday's message. But anyway, just that uh, uh, we're talking about effortless change. Now, that sounds like an oxymoron. How can you change effortlessly? Well, if you're trying to change on your own, it's foolish. <laughs> and that, that is pride. 
if there's any any real transformational change that's going to happen, it's going to be because of God and, and, and God in you. You know, uh, yes, we want to see change both for ourselves and for other people, but if we're going to have eternal lasting change, it's going to be God doing it, not us. And uh, yeah, we can. Yes, we have. To, <coughs> excuse me. There's a point where we participate. There's a point where we are cooperating, and but it starts with. Uh, being in God's word, laying his seed, his nature. Yeah, Jesus said the words that speak to you are spirit and they are alive. His spirit, his light blowing in us and through us. And it's changing us from the inside out versus us trying to change from the outside in. And uh, So, you know, changing from the outside in is just religion. It's an Ishmael. Ishmael is man. You know how, you know how Ishmael came about? Ishmael came about because Abraham and Sarah, who was actually Sarah's idea, were trying to manufacture God's promise. Ishmael was an illegitimate child, but he was Abraham and Sarah trying to help God out. That, and when they created Ishmael, they created the mess. As Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 4, verse 29, that the same way, and i got to paraphrase this, the same way that Ishmael persecuted Isaac, the religious people are persecuting the church today, and uh, and so uh, there's some there's a lot there's a lot you know I didn't mean to get on this rabbit trail, but remember when Esau was upset because he, uh, Isaac his brother stole the birthright, he was upset with his uh, actually Esau and Jacob, he, Jacob his brother stole the birthright, he was upset with his father Isaac, and he was so upset with Isaac his dad, that he went and go and, bought and married one of Ishmael's daughters. And when you study that out in the Hebrew, do you know what Ishmael's daughters meant in Hebrew? Sickness. Sickness is part of the law. It's part of the fall. It's part of the... And there's so much I can study this out. But it's just... Uh, anyway, i got to get off this rabbit trail. It's just, uh, uh, you know, Ishmael is got man manufacturing... A man-made replacement for God's promise. And versus God <coughs> producing an Isaac who is the promised seed. We're not the son of, uh, you know, uh, Paul calls Ishmael the son of uh, bondage. But we are the son of the, of, the, of the, we're not the son of the bondwoman, the law. Paul spells all this out in Galatians 4. But we are the son of the free woman, Sarah. And uh, he, he, Paul talks about how these two women, these two children, uh, these two sons are an allegory of the law versus grace. And so, uh, anyway, we want to see change. But we're going to see it effortlessly. We're not going to produce an Ishmael. We're going to produce an Isaac. Because it's going to be God who brings the change in our lives, not us trying to manufacture like an Ishmael. Anyway, uh that being said, Sherry's going to read for us. We're in the middle of chapter 7. Uh, we're on page 65 if you have a book uh, under the section heading Out of Earshot. And so we, we kind of started last week and we're going to just pick up where we left off. And, and if you weren't with us last week, we're, um, Andrew's bringing out the story of John the Baptist. Um, and in chapter 6 he talked about doubt uh, versus belief. And um, John the Baptist had proclaimed Jesus, you know, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, John baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit like a dove ascend on Jesus. He heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He was the forerunner. He was the uh, one announcing that, that, you know, the Messiah has come, and when John uh, got thrown in jail, Andrew brings out that John the Baptist, who was uh, considered one of the greatest of all time, uh, to quote Jesus um, in, in the Word of God, John had doubt. He was questioning, is this really the Messiah? Because don't forget that the Jews... Uh, imagination of what the, the Messiah would look like was someone who would physically come and sit on an earthly throne 
and save them from uh, the Roman Empire and what was going on in their day and age when Jesus walked on the earth. Uh, but God's plan of Messiah is greater than man's imagination, what the man perceived the Messiah should be like. And Andrew's bringing out that, that John the Baptist from jail sent disciples to Jesus to say, are you the Messiah or are we supposed to look for another? And instead of Jesus saying, yes, I am or no, I'm not, and obviously Jesus is the Messiah, John didn't just answer, Andrew said in this section before what I'm going to read is, he, he actually performed miracles and he healed people and blind eyes were opened and deaf ears were opened and people uh, that were sick were healed. And, and then he told them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Uh, and Jesus was very specific because of the prophecies that were foretold about Jesus were being performed um, lived out right in front of these disciples so they could go tell John the Baptist that yes indeed this is the Messiah this is the one the prophet prophets foretold so we're going to pick up in mid-thought uh, as Andrew's uh, sharing in chapter 7 and they John's disciples departed Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, Matthew eleven seven. Luke's account records this scene slightly differently, saying, And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John, Luke seven twenty four. Instead of as they departed, Jesus actually waited until after John the Baptist's disciples had already departed, before he started saying all these complimentary things about him. By comparing both Matthew and Luke's two accounts of this one incident, we can see that Jesus didn't even answer John the Baptist's disciples for about an hour's period of time. Instead of giving them a straight answer right away, what he did was go out and open up blind eyes, raise people from the dead, cast demons out of folks, and cause the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. He did all of these miracles in the period of one hour. I've seen blind eyes open, people raised from the dead, and folks come out of wheelchairs. I've seen many miracles happen, but I've never seen all of that happen in the period of one hour. I've seen multiple miracles within a short period of time. But the Lord crammed raising people from the dead, blind eyes opening, deaf ears hearing, and the lame walking all in one hour. Imagine the impact this would have had on you. Then after John the, the, John the Baptist's disciples were out of earshot, so they couldn't bring back to him what Jesus was about to say because they were already gone, the Lord began to say these things that, at least to my way of thinking, would have actually been more beneficial to John than the answer Jesus gave John's disciples. Put yourself in John's shoes. You are one of the central figures in the nation. People look to you for leadership. At one time, hundreds of thousands of people said that you were the most important figure in the entire nation. You had that kind of following. Now here you are in your darkest crisis hour, doubting the very truth that made you the instrument that God had used in such a mighty way. You're at your lowest. In prison, it looks like you are going to be executed at any time. As it turned out, John the Baptist was beheaded. See Matthew 14, 3-12. During this low period of time, you send word to the person who has taken your place and succeeded you. This is the same person whom you promoted and actually pushed to the forefront. You're the one who drew all of the crowds, but then you told them to follow him. You drew all the people together and then turned them over to him. In your crisis moment, you send to Jesus asking for help, but it didn't even seem like the Lord helped your disciples at first. He ignored them and performed these miracles. Then he told them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Luke 7, 22 and 23. When I first read these passages of scripture, I actually felt sorry for John. 
I thought, Jesus didn't really do much to help John the Baptist here. Think about it. John the Baptist had been separated to the gospel from his mother's womb. He didn't have a normal childhood. He didn't have a wife or children. The word says that he was in the deserts until the day that he began his ministry. Luke 1.80 This means that he had been separated unto God. There was no plan B or plan C. He had never had any other enjoyments outside of his calling. This man was just totally separated and completely focused on this mission from his mother's womb. Thank you. I don't have a lot of time here, you know, just on this passage of scripture. You know, I just, uh, I, know, I mean, I know there's a lot going on here with uh, Jesus uh, answering John the Baptist. I know he didn't give him a straight answer as we would have supposed, but he gave him a, a better answer. He gave him an illustrated answer. <laughs> He gave evidence, uh, you know, and, you know, um, it kind of, kind of go with my message that's coming, this new series coming up on Sunday, uh, starting this Sunday, anyway, you know, it, it, one of the scriptures I'm going to be using, and I used it a little bit today, is Second Corinthians chapter 1, um, I actually know, I think it's First Corinthians chapter 1. Where, you know, we're not just word, uh, ministering in word only. I'm paraphrasing this, but in, in, in the spirit, in demonstration of the spirit and the power. You know, if we want to see our world change, we need to not just minister the word. We also need to demonstrate the word. And John, like all of us, including the world, we need to not just hear the word. We need to see the word work in our lives. And that's where some people are just frustrated. John was frustrated. You know, talking about putting ourselves in John's shoes, I, you know, I would be a little frustrated too. Like, you know, what's going on here? I, yeah, I don't, and I think he saw some of this going differently in his mind, to quote a movie. But at the same point in time, you know, Jesus brought everything back to perspective. What does the word say? Because everything Jesus demonstrated and everything God wants to demonstrate and work in and through you, the signs and wonders God wants to do in and through you, His church, is everything the Scripture has said that should take place. And if what is not taking place in our lives, you know, even even if Jesus, even though Jesus demonstrated, what was the real proof was the written word. The demonstration just affirmed the word, but but if without the if he had just the the the, de the the demonstration without the word, it would that's all it would have been a demonstration. But the word, you know, the word, uh, the demonstration just proved that the word was true. The word was already true. Put it on our shoes, okay? That that's a story about John. That's nice, but put it in our shoes. You know, Bible says these signs should follow those who believe. Matt Mark 16 talks about a bunch of things that should follow those who believe. Besides speaking in tongues, but we should be able to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and other things. If that's true, you know, you know we, can't, we can't expect Mark 16 to come into fulfillment, lay hands on the sick if they shall recover, if we're never laying hands on the sick. <laughs> you know, some people will, will come, I come to Andrew and, and get on his case about, uh, about Raising the dead, and then he'll ask him a simple question. Well, how many people have you raised from the dead? None. How many have you tried to raise from the dead? None. Well, you're going to bat zero if you never even try. <laughs> you know, uh, God wants us to, to, to heal the sick and raise the dead, but we're never even trying. If we're never even laying hands on the sick, if we're never uh, trying to raise the dead, if we're never trying to do any of those things, you know, you know, uh, we, in one sense, faith without works is dead. And so, you know, we, hopefully I'm making sense of what I'm trying to come across, but uh, I'm just trying to put myself in John's shoes in the, in the sense where, you know, the Word of God says what we should do and the change and the, and, the, and the fruit that should be in our lives. Then let's go do, let's go do likewise. Let's go do what the Scripture says so that we not only just hearing about it, but let's see the fruit, let's see the evidence uh, that confirms and affirms the word of God. I don't know if it's making sense, but anyway.
You know, I know we're still in the middle of Andrew's thought, and I think we'll answer some more when we keep on reading. But, you know, the, the disciples in Acts, when you read, they preach the gospel with signs and wonders following, and people by the hundreds, by the thousands, came to Jesus. Um, all they had to do was believe. Uh, there wasn't a religious... Uh, uh, how-to list and you got to do this this and this and this before God's even gonna look at you or love you no um, when Jesus ministered himself he ministered out of compassion out of love out of the father's heart and you know this effortless change that we're talking about it is not us struggling and striving to perform to make God like us or to make God move it or to save us. God sent his son, it said he was, Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world, before creation. God had his own beloved son slain for us so that in creation, God was not surprised when Adam and Eve fell he had the master plan, plan A, in place before creation so that we could have a choice to follow God or not follow God. And Jesus, you know, Dave, Dave made a, a point in his message earlier today that really struck me that he, he meant, and I hope I can quote it just right, but he mentioned that God is not glorified when we don't take what he's given us, when we don't respond to what he's already provided. You know, if if Dave was to give me a gift for my birthday and then I'm crying and whining and complaining that, oh my gosh, Dave doesn't love me. He didn't give me a gift. He totally didn't think that I'm important enough for him to, to wish me a happy birthday yet he gave me a gift and he's like here but I'm so focused on my own woes that I'm not even looking to see that he's offering me this gift and it's he's just waiting for me to take it and I'm so preoccupied by by me and and what's going on with me and woe is me and curse on my life because no one loves me you know that that doesn't that doesn't make Dave feel good. He's, you know, trying to show his love for me in a tangible way. And yet I'm so blinded by myself. You know, I, I can't open my eyes to see, you know, maybe you'll get it from this story. When Dave proposed to me, we had gone up to see the sunrise uh, on this mountain in Southern California, at Mount Wilson. And I think it was a weather station um, lookout so we could see like over the whole valley and see the sunrise. And we were late, so we didn't quite get to see the sunrise, but we got to see this great view. And it was on Thanksgiving Day. I'm waiting for him to do something special because I thought, what a perfect romantic opportunity for, for him to propose. And nothing was happening. I didn't see a ring box. I didn't, he didn't act any different. And so I started getting emotional because my hopes were up, my hopes were up. And I had turned away from him, so he's standing behind me uh, with his arms around me as we're looking out at the view and I'm trying not to cry because I don't want him to feel bad. And I, I opened my eyes from, from starting to cry and he had the ring box right there in front of me. If only I had just opened my eyes to the gift that was being offered me, I wouldn't have been this emotional wreck when it turned out to be the most, one of the most beautiful days uh, of my life. And yet God did a greater gift by sending his own son to the cross to not just purchase our salvation, but in salvation, he has provided wholeness, healing, deliverance, provision, salvation. I mean, that word encompasses so much. And Jesus paid for every bit of it. He paid 
the price for us to have an abundant life with everything paid for. It's like someone calling you up and saying, hey, all expenses paid to a trip around the world. You don't have to pay for a hotel. You don't have to pay for travel expenses. You don't have to pay for your food. You don't have to pay for spending money. Everything's included. That's what Jesus did at the cross. He bought and provided for everything. And God is glorified when we get it. When we say, you have raised Jesus from the dead and that same exact power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in me. It's my power source and you have given it to me so I can go and do likewise. I can do the miracles like you did. I can raise the dead and heal the sick and, and give people the, the words of life that they need to live in this world. And God is glorified when we do that. When we are woe is me and not receiving the gift, God is not glorified. Uh, and this effortless change isn't us trying to do it on our own effort. It is God providing everything for us. We just need to have this word in our heart and believe. And that change comes from the inside out. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, get back in. Uh, we're going to continue reading. Uh, huge mistake. Question mark. If Jesus wasn't the Christ, then John the Baptist had squandered this anointing that was on his life. He had said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1.29 John's own disciples had come and wanted to follow Jesus, but they were torn because of their allegiance to John. John said, He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3.30 John the Baptist sent his own disciples to follow after Jesus. If Jesus wasn't the Messiah, then John had made a huge personal mistake that rendered his whole life a failure and a waste. Not only that, but he had taken this anointing that was upon him that nobody else in the history of the world had ever had and sent his disciples, the entire nation and multiple neighboring nations after the wrong man. He could have been an instrument of the devil instead of the instrument of God that he was separated to be. This wasn't just a flippant doubt that John the Baptist had. This was a crisis situation unlike any other in John's life. How did John respond to, to how did Jesus respond to John's question posed by his disciples? The Lord didn't answer John's messengers at first, but told them after an hour of curing people Go, tell him what you've seen and heard. Then after John's disciples had departed, Jesus began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went ye out into the wilderness for to see? A reed shaken with the wind? John, Luke 7.24 Jesus was asking, What drew the thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands, of people out into the desert to listen to this man? Was it the reeds blowing in the wind? No, the reeds had been out there for hundreds of years, and the crowds had never come. It wasn't nature. It wasn't because the desert was so beautiful. The crowds came because there was a man out there who was on fire for God. Yeah, it's awesome we're getting to some of the, the heart of this chapter. You know, uh, this whole conflict with John, you know, uh, uh, was was huge, you know, uh, like like uh, Andrew's painting the picture. He went, he wasted his whole life if Jesus wasn't the Christ, but he didn't waste his life because Jesus was the Christ. You know, that's the same for a lot of things that we did. This whole ministry, I, I mean, all my life I've wanted to be a pastor. I mean, I used to preach to my teddy bears, <laughs> you know, my my stuffed animals. You're still, they still need to get saved. But anyway, uh, you know, it's just, uh, uh, this has always been what I want to do. And everything I do, everything we do, every decision we made, every move we made, every, that really centers around ministry. Uh, yeah, we do some things for ourselves and we do, we have fun stuff and it's not just, and we work and we work hard. But a lot of times we work, we work so we can continue to do ministry. And there's been times where I've gone back to Timbuk and I'm actually, 
uh, starting a new business here pretty soon, an apostille notary business. And, uh, but I'm not doing that just to do a business. To me, it's not a vocation. That's just a tent-making job so I can continue to do the ministry. Uh, you know, I, I, Paul went in and out of uh, tent-making, and that's where that whole phrase tent-making comes from. You know, it's just uh, Paul went in, in and out of tent-making so he could do the ministry, and he would be a burden on the local church. And so, uh, because he knew what God called him to do. And so, <coughs> uh, you know, I can understand how this is a crisis for John. He just need, he needed to know, first of all, did he waste his own life and was he the Christ? He just needed to know that. that what, uh, he knew what the scripture said, but was he, this man, Jesus, the Christ? And, and, and based on all that we talked about, now that he's witnessed and his disciples witnessed, because he, he knew the word of God, he was able to confirm that and say that he was the Christ. And so, you know, if everything we do doesn't match up with the word of God, to me, <coughs> we've wasted our time. And there's a lot of, and there's been times in my life with ministry, I felt like even in ministry I wasted my time. I mean, when I was introduced to Andrew and I got some of my teaching lined up properly, I had already been in ministry for a number of years as uh, I was never a senior pastor, but I, I didn't have my own ministry, and that never was the goal. The goal was just preaching the gospel. But at the same point in time, I took all my tapes, I took all my notes, and I threw them away. I had, I, I mean, I filled up a big, uh, two big trash cans full of my old teachings and study notes. I realized I was preaching the wrong message. And I wasn't totally off and off and left field, but there was points of it that I didn't want anyone else to hear again because I realized it was the wrong message. And but when I got the revelation of the what I considered the gospel, and it opened my eyes, I realized, I told God, I said, if you will help me get back in ministry, because at that time when I was doing that, I wasn't in ministry, and I, I just said, Lord, I will preach your truth, I will preach your gospel. And I'm never gonna. I'm not, I don't want to preach anything that this book doesn't say, and uh, anything that doesn't point to Christ, anything that doesn't, doesn't point. I don't want to. I don't want to teach. I don't want. I'm not gonna spend time doing it. And there's a lot of good things I could even teach out of here, but if it doesn't give uh, lead the people understanding who they are in Christ and, and being established in the gospel, then it may be good. It may be biblical, but I'm. I'm not gonna spend time on it. I want people to be grounded in who they are in Christ, and I, uh, and so uh, that's anyway. Uh, that's just how I'm relate with John's story. That's how I'm relating it to my story, and everyone has their own story. So I don't know if that makes any sense for you, but it makes sense for me. <laughs> but uh, anything? I don't have anything, Mister. Okay. Right, uh, next section, on fire for God. If you catch on fire for God, the whole world will come and watch you burn. John the Baptist was a man who was on fire for God. He was anointed by God. God's words were in his mouth. The Lord was giving John a great compliment, acknowledging that he had drawn huge crowds out into the desert. But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. Luke 7.25 Was John the Baptist flashy clothes or patent leather shoes that drew everybody there? Was it his Pentecostal hairdo or his expensive suits that attracted the crowds? No, he didn't have any of those things. John the Baptist was clothed in camel hair. The only thing that smells worse than camel hair is camel hair when it gets wet. John the Baptist wore camel hair and spent half his time in the Jordan River baptizing people. So this guy was definitely not a fashion statement. On top of his attire, John the Baptist had a long beard. He ate locusts and wild honey. I could just see his beard matted with honey with a dismembered locust, okay, Andrew, leg stuck in somewhere. Jesus was simply saying that it wasn't John's hair or clothes that drew people out into the wilderness. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Luke 7, 26 and 27. That's a quotation from Malachi 3, 1. It was universally understood that these words concerned the prophet who was to prepare the way for the Messiah, a very high position of authority and leadership. Jesus was making it very clear that John the Baptist was this man who was prophesied of in the Old Testament. For I say unto you, among those that were born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Luke 7, 28. Jesus said that John the Baptist was greater than any Old Testament figure, including Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc. Those were some pretty powerful words spoken by a man who is the most significant figure in the nation at that time. There John the Baptist was, rotting in prison, feeling lonely and wondering if anybody cared. What about me? I had a six-month ministry, and since then I've been rotting in prison for years. Does anybody remember me? Does anybody even care? What would it be like if you were in John's position and you sent to the most popular, influential, religious figure in the nation asking for help? How do you think it would help you if he were to stand up in his pulpit and begin talking about you? How would you feel if you started seeing on radio and television that you're the greatest prophet who had ever lived? greater than Abraham, Moses, or Elijah, greater than anyone. If you were struggling the way John the Baptist was, you'd probably find such words spoken in this manner by this important person to be very encouraging. At least that's what I thought. When I saw this crisis situation that John the Baptist was in and how the Lord treated his disciples, ignoring them for an hour, healing these other people, and and then sending them back with this with that message. I thought, God, that just doesn't seem to meet the need. Then, after John's disciples had gone, only then did you begin to say all of those compliments. Why didn't you say that while his disciples were still there? Wouldn't that have blessed John more? You know, I know this might be just an interesting chapter or not, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of it I, I get, you know. But I did like this picture. Before this, uh, the beginning of the section that Sherry just read, you know, Andrew says, If you kept on fire for God, the whole world will come and watch you burn. You know, John the Baptist wasn't necessarily, uh, uh, he didn't have the best clothes, best attire. I mean, he had a long beard. Uh, like Andrew said, he probably has honey and locusts stuck in it somewhere, you know. And at the same point in time, something drew the crowd to go out in the desert listen to this man preach. He had a six-month ministry, it seems like, and now he's rotting in jail, and, you know, he's, he can be discouraged. But, and how did God, how did Jesus encourage him? He encouraged him through the Word. He didn't give him the Word uh, verse by verse, per se, but this man, John, already knew the Word, and he used events in his own life to confirm the Word that his life wasn't wasted. I don't know about you. There was a period of time where Sherry and I lost everything between 2009 and 2013. A number of events got us to a place where we just had lost our home, we lost our jobs, we lost uh, everything. We didn't even have a car, we didn't even have a phone. Uh, and uh, we were staying with our grandmother for five, five years. But you know what we lost in the middle of all that? We lost our purpose. And I don't know if there's anything more heartbreaking than losing your purpose. I mean, homes and cars and jobs can all get replaced. But losing your purpose, you almost have no reason to get up in the morning. You know, uh, there's no reason to do anything without a purpose. You know, and uh, uh, we didn't stay there in that position, that position long. Uh, we were out of that mindset uh, faster than we got out of everything else, but you know what? It, uh, 
I just, I'm just trying to picture what John as Andrew's trying to encourage us to do. If you can put myself in his shoes, I can, I can see how devastating it would be. At one end, did you just waste your whole life? What? He had a very unique life. I mean, living out in the desert with camel's hair and wild locusts and honey. I mean, the honey I'd like, but that would get old soon. <coughs> but he didn't have the. Uh, the decency of life a lot of us had, and he was just doing what he felt called to do, and uh, and he he was still wondering as he just uh, lonely in those prisons, just went in the ways and got Jesus, Jesus, uh, the most influential man at the time, but Jesus said he was the greatest prophet of all. You know that they just had to be resounding words that Jesus his. That he said even if he wasn't worthy to even uh, tie the, the, the straps of his sandal, I don't know if I'm saying that completely right, but he just wasn't worthy enough to tie his shoes, so to speak. You know, um, I said he was the greatest prophet of all time. You know, and uh, and so he said things that would encourage John. You know, and there's been times in my life, in my ministry, there's been times, and even. In, uh, through all this, some, uh, some other times of recent years, <coughs> I've wanted to quit. There was times I didn't want to go back into ministry, or sometimes I wanted to quit the ministry as in. Sometimes even in this journey, we've been there. But someone, got, either God gave us a word, or he sent someone to say something that encouraged us with the word that got us back on our feet and continue to do the thing that God calls to do. You know, those, those are just awesome times. Those, those, those are just great things. And so, that and that word, I'm just trying to tie this back into the title, that word we got from God. It could have been from a stranger. There have been times in my life God used a child to minister to me. And at the same point in time, whatever that word was, it changed me effortlessly. It got me back on track. And lately... And as I get to my, I know I keep referring to my coming series because I'm just fired up about this. I'm, I'm excited about this. And uh, uh, I, 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 I just, I don't, I just, uh, I'm just really excited. And I, and studying and preparing. And one thing about when you're studying to prepare a message, you get to hear the message before everyone else does <laughs> because you're putting it together. And, um, uh, you know, this, this message is really getting me back into my groove. Uh, not that I've already fought, I'm off my group, but I just feel like God ushering me into something new. And I don't know exactly what that is yet. And I can't put my hand on it yet. <coughs> but I'm excited. It's good. And uh, it's God. And uh, and God wants more. God's going to do. There's some big, great things coming ahead, not just for me, but for others. And uh, I, don't, I can't quite. Again, I can't put my hand on all on. I can't spell it all out. But at the same point in time, you know, God is using the word to stir me up, and uh, it, it's producing some change. And I even told Sherry uh, the other day, and I actually I think I've said it more than once. I said I just feel some changes coming. I feel some good changes coming. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know that what all that entails. But I just wanted to be prayerful about that. Uh, and so. God has ministered us many times that way, and so uh, we don't seem to get it all in one lump sum, and that's okay, you know. And uh, but there's a nugget, and um, I feel like this one way that He prepares our hearts for change, and He affirms it. So when the change does come, we're not blindsided, you know. And so if we're just uh, we're prepared, <coughs> you know. Sometimes, sometimes when you have a major change or uh, renovate something, you gotta just uh, gut some things out. And I, I don't know if that's making any sense, but I just, I felt like God is just prepared. We, there's a shifting, there's a there's a changing of the soil, so to speak. There's a shifting going on. Maybe we've been doing some you know, spring cleaning projects in the garage and, and different things. We just moved here recently and we didn't, there's just some boxes we had some leftover boxes that we just didn't get a chance to weed those out. And we, we did that in the last week or so. And they were just kind of the, the remnants of our move that we just finally got to finalize. And we just, you know, made the decision. 
if we've been here since June and we're now in uh, end of April and we haven't looked at it and we haven't missed it, then why are we keeping it? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it just, there was a time to, I don't know where I'm going exactly with this, but it just, uh, there's some shifting going on. There's some, some changes going on. And I don't know if this might not be mentioned to you because I just know us and, and, and we're, we're, we're content. We're happy. And I don't, I don't think this is a sudden change. I just feel like there's a, a new chapter coming. I feel like there's a new, uh, sequel coming. I feel like there's a new season coming. Uh, in our life and our ministry and uh, you know sometimes there's some preparation for that and a lot of preparation can just be emotional psychological and just being well instead of a resistance of the change there's a, a recep reception of the change and I don't know what that is and uh, um, you know but I, I do know there's a preparation and so that and so anyway I don't know what I'm speaking I'm just trying to tie some of this into what John's saying here and you know what going on with John you know he's he's definitely been in a new season being in jail and his he might not know it yet but his time is coming to an end where he's gonna actually be beheaded and, and murdered but at the same point in time you know before he dies before he ends he just needs some clarification and uh and so anyway and i know andrew's bringing out john's discouragement and doubt uh but keep in mind and and honestly I've never considered that side of John the Baptist. I just thought what a neat purpose that uh, God had for him to prepare the way of the Lord and to announce the Messiah's coming in such a way and, and be and live and do the purpose that God had called him to. Um, but I had never before until Andrew brought it out about how, you know, even the strong ones uh, can have doubts and like, hey, I didn't want to waste all my life uh, for this unless it really was uh, and, and the, the truth. And praise God, uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is uh, the Messiah. He was the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for and, and all the world. And uh, he, he came to, to set us all free. You know, there's such times, and uh, uh, another thought just came to me, over on what Sherry's saying, but also, there's been just certain seasons in my life where I just needed a word from God. And it's not like I didn't already have the direction, but I just needed a confirmation or whatever. I just needed a word to make sure I'm going in the right direction. I can just see John, you know, he'd lived his life, he had a short ministry, but he had a very unique ministry. You gotta understand John's minute, he's the last of the prophets. There, there's a new covenant coming about. There's a shift. There's a, I mean, we're, he's, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets before the, the New Testament Christ and the new, new covenant. There's a major shift going on in history. And uh, uh, and so he, he's a very unique prophet in a very unique time. Jesus is on the scene. <coughs> Which brings us right, he, 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 and he's going to be part of the new covenant. He's going to usher us into the new covenant. But there's just something John, and but he's been in jail and different, different things, and wrongfully uh, so. But he just needs a word. He just needs to make a word, a confirmation that he didn't waste his life. I don't know about you, but there's just been times where. You know, sometimes we've had some things fall apart and some, uh, with some relationships and some things that we had some things happen in the last few years with a lot of betrayal and slander and whatnot. And I'm not going into all that detail. But sometimes in the midst of that, sometimes the question comes into your own mind, did I do something wrong? What did I do? And I'm not saying we did everything, responded, reacted to everything perfectly. I know there was some hiccups there and wrong things, and that's speaking of two mildly. That's an understatement in some regards. But the big picture, what did we do? What, 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 what transpired all of this? You know, we're just bewildered in one, in one sense. And every, once, every time we got to that place, we just had God gave us a word to somebody or someone or something. It wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was them. And we just needed that. And, uh, and, you know, sometimes I just need that reassurance. You know, there's some things that 
if you're not connected to me, your words are not going to really make much difference. But sometimes it's not just what's said, but it's who said it that makes a big the world of difference. And John needed to hear something from Jesus. John needed to hear something from uh, that the one, the, he was the forerunner of Jesus. And he made to make sure that his he was indeed the forerunner of this was the Christ that he said was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And sometimes I need to hear a word and I need to hear it from the right person. Not just anybody, but the right person needs to say those words. And uh, it just, uh, you know, I had a best friend who passed away last year. And I remember when we were traveling one time to Colorado, he and I, we went there a couple times by ourselves. And just in the middle of all that, we were going through a lot of this junk that I was just talking about. And God told that friend of mine that God, he told me that, he told me several times that God told him, I just want you to be his friend. You know what? That's what I needed. I wasn't looking for this or that. I was just looking for someone to be my friend. And it was very simple word. And my friend, my friend told me that, that God told him to just to be my friend. He, he wasn't there to fix the problem. He wasn't there to solve the problem. He was just there to be my friend. And that's all the word I needed. And that just melted my heart. And he said that reminded me several times. Because he, he knew that's what he was supposed to do. And he was wondering if he was doing the right thing. He knew I was hurting. He knew I was struggling. But, you know, he just needed a reassurance that he was doing exactly what God called him to do. Be my friend. That's all I needed. And that's, that's you know... Uh, it was just an awesome thing. And there was times where he was down, we were there, we, so we did the same thing for both of us. But anyway, that just, uh, I don't know, anything you want to add to any of that? So, um, where are we at with time? So we got uh, about 10 minutes. Um, we start chapter Yeah, eight. let's go ahead and, and dive into chapter 8. We won't get very far. Uh, chapter 8 is entitled Don't Quit. When I was a when I was young in the ministry and just getting started, I pastored a church in Seagoville, Texas. People were staying away from my church by the thousands. It was just amazing the crowds that didn't come. I was struggling and not seeing very much happen. I went to a conference being held at Calvary Cathedral in Fort Worth, Texas. Bob Nichols was the pastor there, and the guest speakers included all kinds of big names like Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, and others. They were all sitting in the front, gifts of the Holy Spirit were flowing, and they were prophesying and encouraging one another in the Lord. There were 2,000 people in the auditorium, but nobody knew who I was. I was sitting dead center in the middle of one of these long 20 or 30 seat rows right in the center of the auditorium. I was literally just a speck in this huge crowd. There, I was feeling so insignificant and thinking to myself, all those leaders are up there getting words of encouragement. Nobody in this auditorium needs to be encouraged more than I do. I felt loneliness and several other negative emotions. Anyway, somebody at the front said, go around, shake someone's hand, and encourage them. I had met the pastor of this church, Bob Nichols, once before. Without going into the details, it wasn't a very good first meeting. It's only because Bob is a gracious person that he even liked me after that first meeting. It wasn't a good meeting and not something I'm proud of. Now, here I was in the middle of the clump of all these people. Bob Nichols got down off that platform, pushed his way through all those folks, worked his way all the way down the aisle, and found me. It was obvious he was looking specifically for me. Bob just started hugging me and saying, don't quit. Don't quit. Hold on. God loves you. Don't quit. He didn't know me or my situation. I knew God had singled me out from all of those thousands of people there. In my time of need, that really blessed and encouraged me. As I read the story about John the Baptist, I wondered, why didn't Jesus do something like that for John? Why didn't he say all of those complimentary things about John being the greatest person who had ever lived in history up until that time while John's disciples were there. Seems to me like 
that would have been more beneficial than simply going out and performing some miracles and then instructing the messengers to go back and tell John what they had seen and heard and that he'll be blessed if he's not offended. I struggled with this for years. Finally, one day, I was just reading through scripture in Isaiah. These questions I had about Matthew 11 weren't forgotten, but they certainly weren't in the forefront of my mind. As I was reading, I came across a prophecy that was given to the messenger who had come before Jesus and prepared his way. This is what these scriptures said of this messenger who would prepare the way for the Messiah. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Isaiah 35, 3-6 All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded me of what Jesus had said to John's disciples, and how he had spent an hour performing miracles. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Matthew eleven four through 6 In an instant, the Holy Spirit connected these two passages of scripture for me. Jesus' way to say all of these emotional, complimentary things about John the Baptist until after Jesus' disciples were gone. While they were present, the answer he gave them was to perform all these miracles right before their eyes. Then he said, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Matthew eleven five. Basically, Jesus fulfilled the messianic prophecy of Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, right in front of the eyes of John's disciples. He opened blind eyes and stopped deaf ears, enabled the lame to leap, and the tongue of the dumb to sing. These were the very miracles that Jesus performed, and then he told Jesus, then he told John's disciples to go back and tell John about what they had witnessed. Everything that was prophesied about the Messiah's ministry, Jesus fulfilled in one hour period of time. Plus, he threw in raising someone from the dead just so that nobody could think that these were coincidences. In one hour's period of time, Jesus did everything that was prophesied concerning the miracles that Messiah would perform. Plus, he added raising someone from the dead. Then he told John's disciples to go back to him and tell him, he had done all of these things, and that he'll be blessed if he could just believe. Just believe. Yeah, that's a good note to end on. And, uh, you know, because um, that's one of the things I could be talking about this Sunday, that we need to believe. We just need to believe. And if we believe, there's something that we need to speak. You know, we need to believe God. You know, um, but I, I, I'm just trying to, uh, there's so much I can piggyback on this, you know. Uh, Jesus knew exactly how to encourage John, because he, he, John knew the scriptures. John knew the messianic prophecies. And uh, there's something I've been saying all along, and, uh, you know, maybe I, I, I was sharing the thinking that you guys had already heard this part, but I, could, I I've already read the book. But, you know, Jesus gave him the scriptures that he needed to encourage him. He knew exactly what he, and, uh, um, and to, Because how many of you know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God? Faith wasn't going to come to John just by a simple compliment. Faith was going to come by hearing the word of God and seeing it in action and the confirmation of that. And which would confirm in his heart that his life as a forerunner was not wasted. He did his job 
he was going to be modern soon, and he needed that bit of assurance that he had run his race, he had finished his job, and he had done it well. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing more fulfilling than that, than knowing that you did a job well. Maybe I've been working hard and working on, I've been working on a website that I thought was going to take a few weeks, took a few months. I finished it this last week, and, uh, you know, and there's just nothing like relieved in knowing that you finished a project. Now we got to uh, get this, this, this business off the ground, and that's going to be my focus this week. But, uh, um, you know, it just uh, finished well. And a website is nothing compared to doing what God's called us to do as far as ministry and what John was called to do. But, uh, you know, uh, we uh, nothing like hearing it from the Word of God and, and knowing that your life is a fulfillment of Scripture. And, um, but, uh, you know, on this last paragraph, I think I just want to read it again. In, in one hour's period of time, Jesus did everything that was prophesied concerning the miracles that Messiah would perform. Plus, he added raising from the dead. Then he told John's disciples to go back to him and tell him what he had done. He had done all of these things and that he held be blessed if he would just believe. Just believe. You know, we might not understand everything, but we, you know, believe what God has confirmed to you to this point. We're all growing. We're all being discipled. We're all getting new revelation. But believe what God has told you up to this point. Believe God. Believe God that Jesus got, he died, he rose again. He's sitting at the right hand of God. If you have the Holy Spirit, you know, believe. By His stripes, you will be blessed if you believe. Just believe. Believe God and leave the results to Him. Believe God. Trust Him. Be encouraged. Be inspired. Be exhorted by the Word of God. But you will be blessed if you believe. You can't believe what you don't know. But you can believe what you do know. And the things that you don't know, you can, you can in a sense, allow God, God and the Holy Spirit to reveal those things. But don't let what you don't know rob you from what you do know. Whatever you do know. If you know the gospel, you know enough. Because the gospel is the power of God. And, uh, you know... But believe God. Trust God. I'm just fired up about this message on Sunday uh, and, and in the coming weeks. But, you know, we have the spirit of faith and we have an awesome... But I can get to preach the message and I, I don't have time to spill the beans without spilling the whole message. And I don't have time for all of that. But believe God. And we, we use a verse this morning from First John, I think it's chapter 5, verse 4. You know, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And believe in God. Believe God. Believe God. I know there's a lot of junk going on in the world. I know there's a lot of things maybe going on in your lives. But believe God. Believe God. There was a time back in 2006 I was going through a very dark time and I don't, I don't, I can't, I have time to go into all that. But I got a message, from, I got a book from, um, what's her name? Beth Moore. Beth Moore. And it was Believing God. And it, I read that book several times through during that season. And it was just, that was the message, the title did enough for me where I'm just going to believe God. I was... And like I said, there was a lot going on, and uh, some of it had was my own folly and different things. But God was going to get me out of that. Sometimes we find ourselves in a pit; we don't know how to get out. Believe God. Believe God. Believe God. Maybe sometimes you're in a place like John, where you your whole life is done. You're you know, and you're just like, what? why am I in this jail or whatever the case may be? Believe God. Believe God. Believe God. And God will come around and confirm his word. And, uh, and anyway, believe God. Yeah, I mean, just look at the heroes of faith. They believe God. 
you know, I, I forget where it is, but uh, in the New Testament, but it, it specifically says that Abraham considered not anything other than the promise of God and even the healing testimonies and the different testimonies of people who have been brought out of their own pit their testimony is they took the word of God and that's all they believed they didn't consider anything else and they have triumphed because of their faith you know even reading in in the gospels uh, where that the woman with the issue of blood for years and years uh, tried to go to different doctors and try to find healing and nothing worked and she was at the end of her rope but she believed God she believed the testimony of the witnesses who had followed Jesus and who had heard and seen and even had miracles happen to them that Jesus was the one to go to he was the healer and she stepped out in faith a lot of worse things could have happened to her besides what she was already going through, but she stepped out in faith to touch the hem of his garment. And because of her faith, because of her belief in in Jesus, uh, she was healed. And uh, there's other testimonies. There's that 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 uh, uh, commander, general, soldier, whatever his title is, who's. Uh, 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 his, I believe his servant was sick or no, centurion. centurion, thank you the centurion soldier um, who was trying to come to Jesus but because of the crowds Jesus kept being delayed uh, and yet uh, when Jesus was ready to go with him he said you don't need to go with me Jesus you just have to speak the word and it's going to happen I understand authority and uh, healing took place from that very moment Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday as we uh, do our Bible study on the Believer's Authority at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. And then I can pretend online on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. Right. God bless you guys.